together. You know where each person is, both that are here physically and those who are watching online. You know their need. You know needs they don't know they have because you are a loving Father who encourages, strengthens, feeds us, and will correct us when needed out of love. You are a Father that knows everything. You know the depths of our heart. You know the thoughts in our mind. You know the words on our lips before we say them. You know what our past is, and you also know what our future is. And because you're a loving Father, because you're a loving Father, you will prepare us. Just as a father in this world that loves his children will teach and train and prepare his children so that they can go out into life and succeed in what you've called them to do. And because you're that loving Father, you will speak to us. And so we believe with all our heart today, Father, that that is what you are doing in our lives and through this word this morning. Now, Father, we need to hear it. We need to hear it. So we we pray this morning also, Lord, that we will have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what the Spirit is saying to each of us personally and to us together as a church this morning. We take authority over any spirit of fear or condemnation that would try to have us hear these words as a condemning or, 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 or negative, but these are words of love and of challenge and of encouragement. And so we rebuke those spirits that would distract people, and we ask you to open our hearts, Lord, so that we would hear lovingly what you have to say to us. And I trust you and thank you, Father, that as I have prepared and I prayed, that you would use my heart, my mind, and my lips to speak only what is in your heart to us this morning. And for that, I trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we started a series uh, a number of weeks ago before we went away. We did several messages on it. Uh, it's going back to some basic things, which is walking by faith. Second Corinthians 5, 7, and we'll get later on into the context of this verse. This says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And there's two interesting things in this, with many interesting things, two things I want to highlight in this. We've talked about the fact that it says we walk by faith. Now, we're saved by faith. We'll talk about that later on. But this means this is a continual walk. And, and we talked about what a walk is. It's one step in front of another. I've heard this expression from people lately, and it's right out of the Scriptures. Well, we take one day at a time, which is all you can do anyway. So we don't live in the past, we don't live in the future, but we walk each day, really each moment out of each day. And so this refers to literally the process of our life. Every day the process of our life is to be by faith. The second thing we see in this is it's not to be by sight. So you can't do both. So you're either walking in this world by faith or you're walking in this world by sight. You cannot be doing both. You can be in the process of moving from one to the other, but you can't be committed to do both. So, and this is very important in the time in which we're living right now because we've come out of, a, out of an age, really, especially in this country where we basically have whatever we need. Now, you may not have everything you want, you may not have everything you think you need, but the really basic essential things of life we have. We've got food, we've got water, we've got clothing. I've, I've checked pretty much, yep. And we've got, we've got shelter, and we may not have the most comfortable, that you, but you have it, especially if you've ever been on a mission field to a third-wheel country, and you're very blessed to have what you have. 
And so we've lived with that. And as a church, we've basically been, the church has basically been favored in this country to some degree. Some of you, it's, it's been fading. Um, so, but we have. As I've grown up, the churches were respected. Ministers were respected. And we're in a very different time right now. And it's rapidly changing and will in all likelihood continue to change. And it may get worse. I'd love to stand here and preach to you that I believe things are just going to get great and turn around. But I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. And I don't believe that's what open eyes can see is, is happening. But that doesn't mean that we're to wring our hands and God's in heaven saying, oh my goodness, things are getting worse. No, we've said this over and over again. God knows what's going to happen. In fact, some of it is part of His design. And God has put us here for such a time as this. And it's not to survive. It's not just to make it through. God has put us here because He has a purpose for the body of Christ. He has a purpose for Faith Christian Center. He has a purpose for you in this time. And we need to be, allow Him to prepare us for that. When people go into the military and they go through something called basic training, that means there's other training. And the very first lesson that they have to learn is you don't own yourself anymore. You can't choose what your hairstyle is. You can't choose the clothing you wear. You can't choose when you get up or when you go to bed. You can't choose what you're going to do. You're now under somebody else's command, but it's for a purpose. And they're disciplining you and training you so that when you get out on that battlefield, you will be trained and disciplined when those bullets start firing to listen to your commander and, and to, do, to get the mission accomplished and to survive in the process. And we're in that process now of being trained. God's using the things wants to use, the challenges we're going through. He wants to use the time we're in right now as an opportunity. This is basic training to go and get trained so that we can accomplish what God's called us to do. But you can only do that by faith. We can only do that by faith. Hebrews chapter 10. This is written, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes. This is written to, uh, to uh, uh, believers that had come through a terrible time of persecution. And he writes these words, the writer, whether it's Paul or not, says, And yet a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not tarry. Now the just, those who have been made righteous by God, shall live by faith. This is the same idea as walking by faith. So it's not you get saved by faith and now, well, that was nice, we did that. And I've heard preachers say, well, the faith movement is, is, is over. Well, whether there's some movement over or not, faith isn't over, it better not be over. For the just shall live by faith. Now look at this, if anyone draws back, this is God saying, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. Well, I'll read it to you. That's what I told them to do. Okay, that's fine. My soul has no pleasure in them. We'll get to the rest of it later. So we've looked at what faith is, because if you keep reading in Hebrews, it goes on to, it goes on to chapter 11, And verse 1 is the classic definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the basic thing we've talked about, what faith really is, is this. Faith is what allows you 
to live in a relationship with the spirit realm, God and all of the things that are in the spirit realm, with the same confidence that you would if you could see them, hear them, feel them, touch them, and taste them. Because our senses, physical senses, is what, are what give you confidence that something in your life has substance. That chair you were able to sit in by faith, and you could do that, but it's a natural faith. If you could do that because you could see that the chair was there. You could touch the chair. As you began to rest your blessed assurance in that chair, you could feel that it was there. So that chair has substance to you, and because it has substance, you have confidence enough to rest yourself in it. Hopefully not to the point you go to sleep. To rest yourself in it. What faith does is faith gives us that same ability to have that same confidence that the things of God, His existence, His presence, His promises are just as substantive as if you could physically see them. That's what faith does. All of the things of God are based on receiving them, are based on that confidence that comes by faith. And Hebrews 11.6 goes on to tell us the importance of that. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's so important to understand for people that say, well, faith is not important anymore. Faith is not that critical. Well, God doesn't think so because He says, you can't please me unless you've learned to walk by faith. See, many people have an idea of what pleases God. We form our own ideas. Churches form their own ideas. Pastors form their own ideas. We like to form our own idea. Well, God, would, God likes this. He likes what... And when we're doing that, actually, and I don't have time to get into this, is we're really creating our own God. I want God to be this way, so this is what He must be. And we'll pick and choose scriptures to tell us and confirm that this is what God is like. There's a word in the Bible for that. And we won't like it, but it's true. It's idolatry. I've made God into my own, the image I want of Him. So we've got to allow the Word of God tell us what God wants to know about Him. And we've got to accept what God says about Him, not what we want Him to be. And you'll actually find out He's better than the image you could create. And you will have more confidence in Him when you... See, underneath somehow, we know we created the image. So we really don't have confidence because somewhere along the line, down inside us, in the very depths of us, we realize, mm, well, I've kind of formed what I want God to be. But when you allow God to reveal Himself to you, it develops faith at another level. And so Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible. And you let that word sink in. It's not hard, but it's impossible to please God without faith. Why? Two things he tells us. Because in order to come to God, he who comes to God must believe that he is. So here again, faith gives us the confidence that we would have that God exists as if we could see him. And I said several weeks ago, well, we're all here. We all believe that God is. But do you? I mean, intellectually we do. But intellectually isn't what counts. Down in your heart, do you really believe that God is? Not just is, but He's there for you. He's not just out in the cosmos somewhere. And we just hope He's out there somewhere. 
But he's real. He's alive. I quoted to you a passage, and it will be in this pastor's library notes or whatever it's called. It's, it's a book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And it starts with, it's so gripping. I've had somebody come to me and said, I've already been gripped by this book. Because he starts with his very premises, you can know God the way as well or better than you can know human beings. But you've got to do that by faith because you can't look in his eyes. And then the second thing in Hebrews 11.6 is that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's what we ended up talking about. So the rewarder refers, first of all, to just God's promises to provide for us, because God's promises to do things for us, to reward our coming to Him. And you can't do that without faith, because you know, you've got to, first of all, believe He's there, but also believe He's willing to give you what you're asking from Him. And so that's what we talked about the last time we discussed this. It allows us to draw near to Him and to seek Him for the things that He's promised us. So today we're going to look at this idea of rewarder at a, at a deeper level. The idea that, God, that we can ask God for things, and, and this is part of it, 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 is true, but there's a deeper significance to faith, and there's a deeper significance to this verse. And this is what we're going to spend a little time in today, and we may not, we may not finish it because this is so important. So to understand this, God's, the fact that God's a rewarder refers to more than just blessings that He will bring into your life. It refers to the ultimate blessing, and that's Himself. Rewarder refers to God's place in our life as our only true God. And this was a lesson that th- when God created man and in the perfect relationship there was the perfect relationship between God and his man and his woman. And it was a relationship of God as a father, God blessing them, God provided a garden. The word Eden is a place overwhelming beauty and provision. God blessed them in that garden with everything they could ever imagine and dream about. Because God is like that. He's generous. He's loving. But they were in a correct relationship with him. They understood he was their creator. They understood that that he was their source of everything that they had. And Satan came into the garden, and the way he came to trip all of this up was to get them to look, take their eyes off of God as their God and suggest to them that they could do a better job of being their own God. And he got it to start it by getting them to doubt God's word. Has God said Really, did God say that? And then he directly contradicts God. God means, doesn't mean that you'll die. God's trying to keep something from you because he knows if you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like him. And he's trying to keep you from being like him. God wasn't trying to keep them from being like him. He made them in his image. What God was trying to keep from them was the knowledge of good and evil on their own. Because God knew he did not design man to handle the knowledge of good and evil on their own. And if you'd like some evidence of that, just look at the world today. See what kind of job man's doing by handling the knowledge of good and evil. They've got it backwards. What What good in God's eyes is evil in their eyes. And what's evil in God's eyes is good in their eyes. And I think it was... Ezekiel, one of the major prophets, said that's going to happen. Truth is going to fall in the street. Good's going to be called bad, and bad's going to be called good. And we're living in that era now. 
So what God has done is to restore that. And so when God came, brought Israel out of Egypt, the first encounter that God had, once he got them all together and they were several months out in the, in the journey, God had Moses come up on the mountain, this is in Exodus 19, and call them around the base of the mountain because God wanted to come down and introduce himself to his people so that they would know who he is and they would worship him and serve him so that he could bless them. And having done that, they all reacted by saying, this is too scary for us. Moses, you go talk to God. You find out what God is to say to us. We're going to go back to our camp where we feel safer. We just don't want this God talking to us directly. That's where a lot of Christians are. You go pray. You go talk to Him and you tell us what God says and we'll do it. Well, they didn't. So here's the words, Exodus 20. Here's the first thing God told Moses to tell them. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Stop there a second. He's introducing them to the God that was in the garden originally. I am the Lord. The Hebrew word Lord there is a word that means self-existent one. I owe my existence to nobody. Everything else owes its existence to me. In other words, I'm the first of everything. I'm the Big Bang. I'm everything, the start of everything. It all originates with me and cannot exist without me. Here's who I am. I am the Lord. Look at this. You are God. So he said, I am the Lord. I am the self-existent one. But to you, I am your God. God implies the source of everything you need. God implies the source of your identity. God implies the source of all your provision. God implies the, 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 the pr- protector of your health, your provision for everything that you need to survive and enjoy your life. It provides everything, leadership, guide, everything that a God would be. I am to be your God. I am the Lord your God, and just to remind you what I did for you, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Stay there a second. Well, that's nice. This is a nice historical lesson, Pastor. We know that God brought them out of Egypt, and God delivered them, and all that. But what's this got to do with us? Well, let's read it in a different way. I am the Lord your God, because Egypt represents to us the world. The world's system, the world's bondages. Egypt had over 2,000 gods they worshipped. They had science and medicine and things advanced in some ways beyond what we've been able to discover. They could do things that we could build things and do things in ways we still haven't figured out with all our intellect and science and technology. I brought you out of... So we read this, I read this, I am the Lord your God. Notice it's your God. It's personal. I'm not the Lord the God. I am the Lord your God. Your is a personal pronoun that implies belonging to. So these are my glasses. They belong to me. They would be of little use to you unless you got the same prescription I do and you got the same shape head. These are my glasses, so that implies they belong to me. And God says, I am the Lord, your God. I belong to you. It implies a relationship So he's not saying, I'm a God who stands up on this hill, on this mountain. I'm a God who rules from heaven, and you are to worship me far off. No, I am your God. 
I want to be a personal God to you who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 3. And as a result, you shall have no other gods. Notice that's a small g. You shall have no other gods before me. So what I am to you as a god, the source of your identity, the source of your protection, the source of your provision, everything you need, I am that source to you. You shall have no one else or nothing else to take that place in your heart. This is the first commandment. All the rest of them hang on that. That's intended to restore the relationship between God's people and their God that God had in the garden with that first couple. They were completely dependent on Him and had everything beyond what they could imagine to enjoy and they could do that because they had the right relationship with Him. And what Satan came to do was to put pride in their hearts that they could be a better God for themselves than he could be. That's all he needed to do. Once he injected that into their hearts and they received it, he could step back because now they were headed into a rebellious path. And it's a testimony to the grace, the kindness, the gentleness, the love of God that he didn't fry them on the spot. He may have wanted to because we know when, Egypt, when, the, the, when the Hebrews did it, because <laughs> another time Moses is up on the mountain, God gives him these commandments, that's what it is, comes down and they're violating this first commandment right away. They're taking the gold that God gave them when they left Egypt. God gave them gold. He had the, the Egyptian women took their gold and their jewelry and almost threw it at them. One of the translations says they plundered Egypt. These were the captives being set free. And God blessed them. When they, now, He gave them the gold because He was going to use that to build a tabernacle where He could come down and dwell in their presence and they could worship Him. But while he's, Moses is on the mountain getting these commandments, the people get itchy because He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. So they turn to Aaron, his brother, and they ask Aaron to build them something they could worship. So they took the gold that God had given them to build the Ark of the Covenant and the beautiful tapestries and things of the, of the tabernacle where God would come and dwell with them. And they used it to make an image, a golden calf. We don't have time to go to the Scriptures, but if you read it carefully, when they built this thing and then they began to worship it, they didn't worship it as Satan. They didn't worship it as what they thought were an idol. They worshiped it as the God who brought them out of Egypt. So they made their own image of, that, they, that they made of God who they were called Yahweh. And man's been doing that, Christians have been doing that ever since. It's the root of all sin. It's the root of our flesh. And we'll come and worship God and love God. And, you know, and that's not means we don't love God. But down in our heart, we still want to hold on to my contribution. And in order to bring us into salvation, God has to humble us and show you what you can do on your own. 
Anybody learned that yet? Sometimes I thought I've learned it and I still got some more learning to go through. But God is a gracious father and teacher. So let's go over to, to we're going to look now at um, Deuteronomy 8. And we'll spend, oh boy. This is not going to get done today. That's okay. This is so important. It's worth spending time. Now we're going to fast forward about 39 years. And we have the first generation. I go over this because a lot of people nowadays don't have all the biblical background, historical, of what happened. We're now going forward. That generation that God brought out of Egypt, the generation that God called around the base of this mountain in Exodus 19, the generation that God said, well, I'm going to take the time to go through this. Back when in this Genesis 19, when God told Moses on the mountain, go down and, and tell the people in three days to come around the base of this mountain, and there were things they needed to do to cleanse themselves. And he said, because I want to come down so they can see my power, they can see, they can see the, 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 the awesomeness of who I am and worship me so that they will obey me. In other words, to put them in right relationship with me. So they come around the base of the mountain. God comes down in thunder and fire. Now God can appear in different ways depending on what He wants you to see about Himself. And He wanted them to see because they had just come out of 430 years in Egyptian bondage in a country that worshipped over 2,000 gods that were not real. And He wanted them to get in their senses how awesome and real He is, that He is the God, the self-existent One who exists in power. So He came down in the thunders and lightning and the ground shook and they came out and they looked at this and they were afraid and went back to their camp. Now it's interesting. There's a verse in there we have time to turn to where it says Moses told them to be afraid of God but the fear they had caused them to run away. Moses' fear of God drew him closer. Because there's a fear of God that reverences who He is. Because there's built into every human being a need to know this God. And it triggered it in Moses, whereas the people were afraid of what it was going to cost them, and they ran back into their tents. And here's what they said to Moses. I said it a few minutes ago. They said to Moses, look, look, you you go talk to God and you come tell Him what He says and we'll go do it. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. But God had said, here's what you need. That's a great example. God had said, what you need, you need to see me, you need to experience me, in the way I'm going to reveal myself to you because when you've had that encounter with me it will change you and you will honor me you will fear me and reverence me but you will obey me so I can bless you. That's what God's will was. Now listen carefully. God knew that. But they decided that's not what they needed. They decided they could take a shortcut and they could let the preacher go up Oh, and they could let Moses go up and find out what God was saying to them. And then they said, Moses, you tell us and we'll go do it. And I believe they were sincere. But they rejected God's way of training them and they chose a way that was for themselves 
and they failed. And it cost them because that generation, when God brought them to the edge of the promised land, because they had not developed their faith the way God ordained them to, they refused to go into the land that God had promised them because their senses were so much more developed than their faith on the inside. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, this story is in the Bible as an example for us so that we don't make the same mistake. And he was patient with them. So we'll just, let's go quickly into Deuteronomy 8 and then we, we won't get finished this. So now what's happened is <clears throat> that generation that God came down on the mountain to that says, okay, we'll do whatever you can say, they never grew in faith. Uh, they never grew in faith. So when they got to the test, when it was time for them to enter into the promised land, which for us is our destiny, our purpose here. They looked at the obstacles. They looked at the threats. They looked at the COVID statistics. They looked at how uncomfortable they were coming to church. They looked at all the distractions that were out there that they could be doing instead of doing what God's called them to do. They looked at all those things and they were more appealing to their senses than what God inside was telling them to do, so they were more moved by those things. So God said, all right, I still love you, but you can't go in there because it would be dangerous for me to take you in there because it would destroy you in there and it would destroy the next generation that I'm going to have to use. Now remember what's at stake with this people. It's not just their destiny. It's not just their purpose. It's not just their kids, their grandkids, their great-grandkids. Because God's promise is through this people will come a Redeemer, will come a Messiah who will save the whole world, not just this people. So if God had allowed them to go into this land without their faith being where it needed to be, they all would have been destroyed. And the line for the Redeemer, our Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, would have been lost. So God's love required Him to judge their actions and keep them. He kept them. He didn't fry them. He kept them in the desert for, 49, for 39 years until the generation that came out of Egypt, the generation that was so saturated with their senses of the world, This would speak to somebody because this is where so much of the church is. The church is saturated. Our senses are saturated with the world. With the appetites of the world, the music of the world, the entertainment of the world. It's not that there's something wrong with that, but we're saturated with it. God had to have that generation die off so that a generation that didn't have that saturation that was born and grew up in the wilderness under his leading and under his provision who could now learn to walk by faith, that's the generation that's entering in. And so this is God speaking to that generation through Moses to remind them of their history of what they've gone through. 
it is important to go back and look at times at what God's brought us through. This is why I said this in the very beginning this morning. To look back and see what God's brought us through, what God's brought you through. The good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes. And to see God's hand in it. So God is now reminding them, this is the next generation, this is why I did what I did. And I'm only going to have a chance to really to introduce this. In fact, I'm not. If you want to know what happens, come back next week. It's too much to get into at this point. I want to take a moment, though, before we close. I'm going to give an invitation in just a moment. I want you to just be quiet. Those of you that are online, the same thing. Just wherever you are, hopefully you're not driving. Wherever you are, just I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to pray for just a moment. And I want to give... So often we finish a message and then we just leave. But one of the things God's impressed on me while we were away is to give the Holy Spirit a chance to at least begin to talk to us. So Father, we're going to take a moment right now and we've heard some things that, that can maybe challenge us to us, but we're not, we don't want to be like the Israelites that pulled back. We want to be like Moses who draws near to hear your voice, to hear what you're saying to us because you love us as you love them. And you have a purpose and a destiny for us as you did them. And it's critical and important to your will and your plan. So Lord, you know each one of us where we are this morning, what we may have heard, what we may need to hear. And we're going to take a moment right now, Father, just to let you speak. Speak to each one of us. Whether we hear anything or not, just to be quiet and be open and allow Him. Father, just we want to know, where are we? What do we need to address? What do we need to change? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we go into this week, Lord, what is it we can do? One little thing we can do. One little thing we can do to begin to learn to trust you. Open our eyes. Lord, you've done that to me. See ways that I thought I was trusting you that I haven't. Open our eyes, Lord. Our heart. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're so faithful. You're not just out there somewhere else. You live inside of us. And you're in us to lead us and guide us into truth. You're in us to bring to our remembrance the things that we've been taught and we've heard. You're in us to strengthen us and comfort us. You're the one called alongside us to enable us to do what God's calling us to do. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Now, if, if you heard something you're supposed to do, you need to do it. Don't leave here and forget it. Because I pray the Holy Spirit will hound you. 
He's very good at doing that with me. One of the things God impressed upon me, I just said it briefly, is that we, we preach the word, hopefully under the anointing of the Spirit, and then we just leave without giving a chance to let some of it sink in and, and make a decision, what am I going to do? In the, in the book of Acts, when Peter preached that first powerful sermon on the anointing of the Spirit, when he, was, when he was finished, it says their hearts were quickened, were pricked. And their first reaction, what shall we do? Because if a message doesn't challenge you to do something, it really hasn't had its full, its full effect. To just hear it and say that was a good message, oh, that moved me, is like eating food and then spitting it back out again. It doesn't do you any good. God doesn't want to entertain us. He doesn't want us to feel good or feel bad. He, he doesn't want us to feel anything. He wants to bring change in our hearts, first of all, and then in our hearts together. And that can only happen as we allow Him to do that. So in whatever you do in your morning devotions, in which you should have a devotion sometime during the day, even if it's five minutes or ten minutes, something where you're quiet and you acknowledge who God is in your life that day, and you give Him an opportunity to speak to you, even if you don't hear anything, the fact that you open up to hear now begins to pave a way. Sometimes it takes a while for this to happen. One last thing we want to do, we always want to do before we close the service, for those of you watching online or those of you who are here this morning, maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Maybe you were like me. You were raised in church your whole life. I was a deacon in a church. I preached in the church. I wouldn't want to hear it today, but I had preached in that church. And I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I believed in God. I was raised to believe that. I believe that He died and paid for the sins of the world. But if I had died at that point, I would have split hell wide open. Because what Jesus says, not what I think, not what religion takes, not what you or I think, but what Jesus said is you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said later on in the Gospel of John, I am the way, not one of several, not one of several options. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he nails it down for good. No one comes to the Father unless they come through a personal relationship with me. See, it's not enough to believe who He is. You have to receive Him into your heart as the one that paid for your sins. And then you have to put your life into His hands to be Lord over your life. You don't need to understand all that. It's an act of your, act of your will. In the book of Revelation, it, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door the door of your heart, not your mind, your heart, and knock. If anyone will open the door of your heart, I will come in and my Father will come in and we will begin to live inside of you. And that, Jesus said, is the requirement for getting into heaven and avoiding hell when you die. So here's what I want to do. If you're here this morning or, or you're watching online and you've never made that choice, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. All you're going to do have to do, we're going to repeat a prayer together in the next few minutes, next moments, and you just need to mean that as best you can. 
where you're watching online or right here. Or maybe you've done this before, but you've wandered off and you're just off doing your own. If that's you, you know it's you. Don't start looking for something. You'll know that's you if you're off somewhere. It's time for you to come back. God's not angry at you. He loves you. So if that's you, we're going to all pray this together. But if that's you, I want you to sincerely in your heart to speak this to God from your heart. So let's pray this together. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you're watching online and you did that for the first time or maybe you recommitted your life, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call our office tomorrow morning. The number should be at the bottom of your screen, 508-336-4110. 508-336-4110. Someone will answer the phone because we want to send some free material to you to give you a better understanding of what you've done today.